0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nationalist Academy. I'm Cole. I'm here with Thomas and Uber, and this is going to be our third episode. We are going to do our classic book reviews here in the first part, and in the second part, we are going to open up the talk to general philosophical chats. I... I believed that during this podcast Uber's wife was going to be with us, she is not, so I picked a particularly short thing. Uber, I believed, picked no book (laughs) once again, and Thomas, you picked a particularly long book, I believe? (sighs) Yes, it was You picked Crime and Punishment?
1: Yes, but specifically a new translation, which I recommend to everyone. Don't get the Barnes and Noble version, you barely understand it. Get a good translation, do a little research, you'll appreciate the book much more. All right. Do you want to go first with your review? Why not? All right. So I've read the book before, full disclosure. Um, so this was rereading it with a fresh mind in a new situation in my life. Um, so basically it's the story of an, a guy who, because of circumstances, ends up dropping out of college in St. Petersburg in the 1860s, which is not a really good time to be a dropout. And he lives under someone's like stairs. In like a boarding house which was a common mode of living at this time packed in like a sardine he's got this one closet to himself and he just sits there miserably all day and he convinces himself because he's read a lot of philosophy and he's come to the conclusions that were predominant at that time he convinces himself that it's a good idea for him to or it would be not morally reprehensible for him to kill a pawnbroker who he has been dealing with because all she does is leech off of the society around her of course that's Him looking at things from his own perspective and from his own bias, he then proceeds to act on his fantasy of killing this pawnbroker lady. In the process, her sister barges into the room. Her sister is described as being a little out there or a little different, what we today might assume is autism, you know, and... (laughs) 1860s Russia. They had no concept of this. They didn't care. She was just weird and she lived with her sister. She you heard it here, Post.
0: Shit. In 1860s Russia, there was no autism. Truly, it was a paradise.
1: <laughs> 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 well, was it? Because look at what our uh, autists give us today.
0: You're right. It was an absolute dystopia. We need to spread <laughs> autism here in America.
1: <laughs> give them more vaccines. Just ask how it shows. Anyway... <laughs> Let's not turn this into the woke folk. Back to <laughs> <laughs> the woke folk will eventually eat all podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and do Alex Jones memes in the process. So, he kills this woman, and he is particularly taken with the look of horror in her eyes as she knows and realizes that he is about to kill her. Bludgeons her to death as well. Slips out when the workmen probably could have noticed him, but didn't. And proceeds to go on a 300 page guilt trip that is unlike anything anyone's ever written in literature clearly dostoevsky had some issues himself because oh boy does he bring out like some very jarring examples of the way that depression affected this individual became so depressed that he would just frequent bars with whatever little money he could scrounge up um he's still not able throughout the book to recognize what is causing him to go through this existential crisis he starts to interact with the police in a way that if you were actually trying to hide the crime, you wouldn't do at all. He starts going to the police saying, oh, I was in the area, you know, I was one of her uh, customers, giving them the clues that they would need to shut the case on him. In the process, he befriends one of the investigators as well as he befriends a man who is a former servant of the Russian government who's currently broke and has his daughter prostituting to pay for his wife and young, younger daughter while they all live in a house with about 40 Germans that are described in very colorful and upsetting language in that book. <laughs> as someone who descends from the myself, just saying. If, you, if that triggers you, don't read the book because you'll get very triggered. But it makes sense in the cultural context of the times. So it makes sense from the character's perspective. It wasn't just wanton. So <laughs> he befriends the daughter specifically. And he ends up falling in love with someone who is... I mean, even to people who have very loose morality, it's reprehensible. This girl who's prostituting herself, but what he sees in her is the beauty of her doing this act that defiles her as a person so that she can feed, you know, sacrificing so that she can feed her family that reminds him of his particular religion because apparently it, and it's very clear in Dostoevsky's writing that he was very Christian but apparently Raskolnikov has that anchoring too. Something about the times and kind of the fatalism of Russia in this era really draws that out of the characters to say the least and so when he's in significant peril he begins to start to walk back towards the light so to speak. In this process he ends up basically giving himself to the police after a series of very interesting events including his very weird friend and his family that come in from Siberia to see him because they think he's still in school they end up seeing a guy who's depressed laying in a room all day Um, the friend actually has made a lot of money so the friend kind of adopts his family and he's like okay goodbye and then he gets arrested and he goes to Siberia himself back to his homeland I suppose and the prostitute girl after her father is killed being run over by a horse which is not supposed to be funny in the book but kind of is he gets run over by a horse because he's too drunk and he can't do anything about it and he just stands there like a deer in the headlights which is kind of the character he dies she comes out to live beside the prison with the other like with the wives of people who are imprisoned in these camps waiting for him as he becomes very very aware of the sins of his past and very adamant it towards the end of the book about how you know his guilt was what was holding him down which was obvious the entire book you killed someone dude of course of course you're gonna feel guilty about that you're not a used to it and b you're too moral because you think about these things so if anyone out there is thinking about killing people don't you're just gonna give yourself away to the police mm-hmm. not a good plan and that crime and punishment touches the the thing that draws me to that book and the thing that i like about that book is it has both the very human aspect of like the anime of living in a society that's modernizing and not quite knowing man's place in it and asserting man's place too too far and then being naturally kind of like smacked by reality as well as like the i think the christian overtones in that book are really really important because they can speak outside of just that particular faith to a kind of like ancestral understanding that we should not do things that harm other people especially within our own communities because it's something that would if it was done to us we would feel very horrible about and that's kind of the interesting like overlay of christianity in this situation when he starts to return to his faith he starts to see things from the perspective of the pawnbroker. saying god i wouldn't want that to have been me to just get beaten to death by some random bearded guy who stinks who hasn't washed himself in three months because he's so depressed he just lays in a room all day so yet again, Neats, please, get out of the house. You're not helping us. Get
0: That's out of the crazy. house, but don't get out to bludgeon people.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh God. Especially not the person who's been paying for your rent with the gold watches that you've been pawning off to him. Sounds like
0: a very New York situation, to be honest. <laughs> a very kosher <laughs> situation. <laughs> but, but anyways, alright, so what we're like... Besides the Golden Rule, what other philo- philosophical concepts do you, do you see within like, the book and the narrative?
1: Very early in the book, weirdly enough, because he wrote the book before, Frederick Nietzsche was really on the scene. He starts talking about a series of conclusions the character is coming to that Nietzsche eventually came to in his work, that this like, idea of, I am strong, therefore I am entitled to act. The will to power, so to speak. And just like, which is the same theme actually that came out of the last fiction book that I read, which was uh, Heart of Darkness, which is kind of why I picked them in that order, was that these people came to this conclusion kind of naturally, the product of like a particular kind of charisma, zeitgeist, if you will, of that time. Not that god-awful documentary but like the actual zeitgeist of the time started leading people towards these conclusions that nietzsche fleshed out more thoroughly in the coming decades but at the time were just kind of like the scattered thinkings of various academics here and there he had written papers when he was in college that were actually published because they were quite good about how he felt that he was morally superior that to other people because he thought above them which is very common if you know a lot of smart people they all think that even if they won't admit it Not necessarily a good thing when you're applying that to direct interpersonal relationships. And uh, that's another interesting and relatable aspect of that book, at least for me personally, is you can see Rasklanoff dealing with the fact that he is just a normal human being. And it wears on him quite extensively, more so than it would anyone else because it's dramatized for effect, obviously. But a really interesting way of him showing like how man relates to society, especially in that particular society with all that was going on just a few years before the book opens, the serfs had been liberated. Like Russia was going through great changes at that time. It seems like it's always going through great changes, especially in modern times, but things were changing in Russia. Russia was turning into a new place, and people were getting left behind, at least emotionally, in that process.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's very true. Uber, you did... You did not read a book, but what What are you planning on reading for next week?
2: Oh, uh, I could also do an audiobook. That might make it a little easier for me. It's just that I just started this week, so that was this week is pretty hectic. Welcome but you back to hell. Yeah, right? Hmm. You suggested um,
0: I could start picking up
2: essays. Mm-hmm. Some, that, that might make it a little easier for me Any kind um, of
0: writing is okay for this thing as long as it's, you know, politically relevant and, you know, um you know, not Deep not is, really like is just a hipster oriented, just yeah it, like... Deep is a very hipster way of putting it but things that, you know, aren't just shallow Right Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: now we're becoming the white nationalist hipsters mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm glad I'm hipsters have just,
0: like, things. died as a movement Oh, right.
2: not on the West Coast, son. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're they're talking They're still there, about.
0: but they're not in the national spotlight anymore. We don't see any more... We, we see more people in the the kind of internet sexual feminists like, applying all these extra labels, but we don't see any more non-political hipsters, just like the common man being like, oh, I listen to, to fish CDs while I play with my chia pet or something. Oh right, God. they're
1: the ultimate f- like expression of apathy within our society. And as things become more dramatically politicized and polarized, I think we'll see less and less of those kind of groups spring up. Especially that particular group that wants to live as children still.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. that's just that's just the far left in general. I mean, I absolutely right. love um, Kant's um, his, um, little... it's I don't remember where it's from, but it's his... Um, talk on immaturity and what immaturity means, and I think it applies a lot to the left, and I can quickly bring it up and read it. H-I-J-K. Uh, here we go. I'm just going to read this little passage from Khan on immaturity, and although he is considered classical liberal, I outside of his political stuff, I do think he is really damn close with the morality and other kinds of things. I mean, listen to this and tell me if you don't think it sounds pretty damn trad. Laziness and cowardice are the reasons why so great a proportion of men, long after nature has released them from alien guidance, nonetheless gladly remain in lifelong immaturity, and why it is so easy for others to establish themselves as their guardians. It is so easy to be immature. If I have a book to serve as my understanding, a pastor to serve as my conscience, a physician to determine my diet, and so on, I need not exert myself at all. I need not think. If I, if only I can pay, others will readily undertake the irksome work for me. The Guardians who have so benevolently taken over the supervision of men have carefully seen to it that the far greatest part of them regard di- taking the step to maturity as very dangerous, not to mention difficult. Having first made their domestic livestock dumb, and having certainly made sure that these docile creatures not take a single step without the go-kart to which they are harnessed, these guardians then show them the danger that threatens them, should they attempt to walk alone. Now this danger is not actually so great, for after falling a few times, they would in the end certainly learn to walk, but an example of this kind makes men timid and usually frightens them out of all further attempts. I think this is, you know, very characteristic of you know kind of the authoritarian left that we're seeing I mean the establishment of the guardians and purposely warning against you know di- you know stepping out and becoming you know financially successful without relying on their systems of diversity and and public relations and everything like that do you agree
2: yeah I mean it definitely it <coughs> when you listen to that, it sounds like a, a just a literal description of, of basically the neoliberal establishment, you know, that people... I mean, I don't know, it's almost kind of a meme at this point when a, a lot of people refer to people as sheeple or whatever the nice. fuck. But it's essentially true in people's nature when you think about it. Like, most people, if they have their, their needs taken care of, for the most part... They're pretty content to leave things as they are, even if they're not for the ultimate long-term good, or even more subtly, like, the, uh, their ultimate philosophical or ideological good, like the uh, more, I don't know, cultural good. Their fulfillment
0: especially. of their duty right, as a categorical representative of their person.
2: And all that sort of thing. Exactly.
0: In a hedonist society where you set up, all you need is bread and circuses. Keep people entertained and fed well, and you basically have all their problems, you know, all their problems pushed aside in their minds. And and if we have nothing else... if, If we have nothing else, I think we should go on to my thing. Now, what I did is again, I thought uber's wife was going to be here so i put i picked a particularly short kind of essay thing and I looked into specifically fellism I looked into the um the Spanish version of fascism and it's i uh, it is still fascism, but it's interesting to note that um, that they were trying to distance themselves from the fascist movement at the same time. Reading their 26-point manifesto of the Spanish Falange, which means Felix in, you know, Spanish, they they are in particular trying to distance themselves from fascism, while at the same time they are trying to reject Marxism and also appease, like, these very same, like, promises that the Marxists are promising. So there's only 26 points, and I think we could go into them, and I'm going to actually read them out quickly, and there's a few points that I think we can discuss. I mean, we're going to agree with the majority of this for Spain. It's specifically tailored for Spain, but one of one of the um, concepts that needs to be understood with this is their idea of syndicalism. Now, in in Marxist um, theory, when the proletariat sees the means of production and establish a dictatorship of the proletariat, the idea is that all the proletariat, all the workers, they form a state and then that state becomes state socialist and you know organizes the workers to work the various mi- um, machines and fields and everything like that in syndicalist, um, economics, instead of the fascist system where it's corporations and companies going before a fascist council to determine whether it's economically, economically benefit to, um, the state or not, in syndicalist economics, they basically have, um, these trade unions. They have what they describe as vertical trade unions, so all of the, um... All the tailors are in a guild, they're in a a syndicate that deals with the government, you know, in the same way that corporations deal with the government in the Italian fascist state, to try to seize the means of production without at the same time having this state-run socialist program. So, like I said, it's not quite a synthesis between fascism and Marxism, because, I mean, that's just complete dialectic nonsense yeah, it's yeah. it's it's dialectic nonsense, but at the same time, it's taking fascism and saying, how could we compromise to appease the country? because earlier they were in a anarchist civil war, and that you can definitely see the influence of them trying to overcome that civil war. Not just through dominance, but through a bit of compromise as well. So, any of these points, um, any of us can just stop and say we would like to say something about it, disagree, or anything like that. So, I'm just going to quickly go through them. So, basically, for the first three, it's, it's basically just for Spain and for... I mean, not the first three, the first five, just basically for Spain, and a few choice quotes in them are from... Points 1 and... Points 1, 2, and 5 that I'm going to go through. I'm, I'm just going to read point 1 in its entirety to get the gist. We believe in the supreme reality of Spain. The strengthening, elevating, and magnifying of this reality is the urgent collective goal of all Spaniards. Individual group and class interests must inexer- inexorably... I can't pronounce that word. Inexorably, inexorably give way in order to achieve this goal. And uh, a single sentence from the second point is, Spain has a single destiny in the world. Every conspiracy against this common unity is repulsive. Any kind of separatism is a crime from which we shall not pardon. And finally, from the fifth point, it's... It's, um... Spain must aspire to become a great maritime power for reasons both defense and commerce. We demand for the fatherland equal status with others in maritime power and area of roots. Just for. I gave you those excerpts of the first five points to give the kind of um, general. I'm going to do this for each of the sections, but just right. to give the general, you know, overview of this. And this is specifically for Spain, but we can already see, like, the kind of inklings this idea of. They are taking the fascist idea of, um, you know, group and class interest, and trying to focus them towards this national goal, and that's right. what th- that's what the syndicalist economics is. It's basically trying to say, we don't want companies and corporations. We want more workers' control of the means of production, but we don't want full-on Marxism because Marxism is absolutely AIDS. <laughs> It's just retarded. In Mm -hmm. fact,
1: you see the evidence of syndicalism's popularity in Europe still in the institutions of certain European countries, like in France, where there's a labor union and then there's an owner's union. And they discuss with one another as a way to kind of stave off tensions between these groups.
0: Just Mm -hmm. something I
1: wanted to point out. It's an interesting parallel, the Mm -hmm. way these things affect history.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's... And that's also true, and I can also see uh, quite a lot of merit in it, especially with um, guilds that involve some kind of skills, like, for example, a, the way that I think our doctors are set up here in America. I believe we have kind of like a, a doctrinal council counsel dictating what, um, it's not the way hospitals are run, but I think it's talking about medical practices, I believe. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's some kind of... I think
2: that's correct. It's like there's this sort of union, and it sets sort of like
0: and it's not what just bureaucrats it's actual doctors that have you know right, proven exactly. their excellence
2: doctors and it's like if you you have to follow this certain set of standards in order to get and maintain your license to practice well what doctors are really you, worried
1: about is being like they, they are right, sued viciously shit. by lawyers who make so lawyers out like of it. so it's like
2: if you don't want to follow that code then you're going to be stripped of your fucking license right. mm-hmm. uh, the wolves. it's kind of the same with um what oh, fuck i just had it in my head uh, never mind. But there's another there's another industry that operates almost exactly... Oh, lawyers yeah. operates almost exactly... Ah, uh, yeah, I think too. so.
1: And that's why they hate
2: each
0: other, because the, they're so the similar. The bar and so forth. hmm And the next section is state individual liberty. And basically, we can see the full manifestation of fascism here in this very first point that I'll read in its entirety. Our state will be a totalitarian instrument to defend the integrity of the fatherland. All Spaniards will participate in this through their various family, municipal, and syndical roles. There shall be no participation in it by political parties. We shall implacably abolish the system of political parties and all their consequences, inorganic suffrage, representation of clashing groups, and a parliament of the type that is all too well known. And funnily enough, the the next point of this, I'll skip point 8, but Human 7, if you were... Kind of politically and philosophically just ignorant as um, the common man. This part would seem almost contradictory, but it explains itself. Human dignity, integrity, and freedom are internal, intangible values. <laughs> now that just sounds like something straight out of like a, a classical liberal, you know, manifesto right there. But it, it right. goes on to explain but one is not really free unless he is a part of a strong and free nation no one will be permitted to use his freedom against the nation which is the bulwark of the fatherland's freedom rigorous discipline will be per, will prevent any attempt to envenom dis- and disunite the spanish people or to incite them against the destiny of the fatherland so this is where you know they kind of explain this they're saying that you can have all the freedom you want but not you know, the freedom to subvert your own homeland, which is, you know, very intuitive that that, you know, it's a part of a fascist doctrine that, yes, it's totalitarian and we can disagree on that as um, as national socialism I personally think is superior to fascism, especially in its economics, and
1: demonstrably so.
0: Yes, but but again, it's this idea of the totalitarian state, it's not so much the idea that they want to suppress and you know just you know be a tyrant of their own people and whether you're syndic- cynical of not of particular leaders but in concept the idea is supposed to be this the state you know creating the society and organizing it in such a way to create more unity to actually benefit the particular people right. now the next part in particular is long, it consists points 9 to 16, which talks specifically about the economy, labor, and class struggle. And I'll only go over two of these particular points to illustrate it. It's Our, con- our concept of Spain in the economic realm is that of a giant syndicate of producers. We shall organize Spanish society cooperatively through a system of vertical syndicates for the various, fi- various fields of production all working towards national economic unity. And the, the, second, the second point, which is point 10, actually addresses their kinds of you know condemnations that at the same time compromises with Marxism. We repudiate the capitalist system which shows no understanding of the needs of the people, dehumanizes private property, and causes workers to be lumped together in, sh- in a shapeless, miserable mass of people who are filled with de- desperation. Our spiritual and national conception of life also repudiates Marxism. We shall redirect the impietousness of the working classes who today are led astray by Marxism, and we shall bring them into direct participation in fulfilling the great task of the national state. It... This is... This is one of the things that if you if you've been listening to Sargon of Akkad recently, he's kind of been getting into the idea of class struggle and everything like that or or maybe I'm thinking of some other YouTube, but he's been getting into this idea of class struggle that he he doesn't advocate marxism of course and everything like that. He is he's better than that. He's still a classical liberal, but but at the same time he says that the needs of the the working class people just aren't being being empathized with by the bourgeoisie as he puts them and he and I really don't like concept of bourgeoisie and proletariat within within both wings of and all our ideologies, but but it does have some merit with the way he describes them of being cultural interest groups rather than economic groups. Yes, it ties into economics and everything like that, but this idea that...
2: Right. I would almost kind of refer to them more as elitists.
0: Yeah, but it's not so much as elitist. The way that he, he defines um, the bourgeoisie that's defined by Rousseau is... People who when they are alone want to look at other people and when they're with other people want other people to look at themselves. They are those who want to look at others and be looked at in return. They're they're the people who do everything for status. They want to seem to be empathetic and and oh and virtuous and you know, virtue signal to others and in return they want to see the virtue signals, you know, being sent back to them as well. And we can kind of see this Compromising in this point, point ten. they say yes, there is a problem with the working class and having exploitation from capitalism and everything like that, and so we're going to provide a solution. But Marxism is not the correct way in this. And while I don't agree, I think it's it's definitely an interesting system to conceive conceive of. Um, I'm I'm going to cons- I'm going to skip over the next, um, few points, because they all concern land. It's it's very Marxist, but it's a part of the benign parts of the Communist Manifesto of, um, trying to, you know, um... The next, um... The next few parts, all the way to 22, they basically are about farmers and farming, about, um... For example, point 19, our program of social reforms in the field of agriculture will be achieved by... Redistributing arable land in such a way to revive family farms and give energetic encouragement to the syndicalization of farm labor—it's basically going on this idea of trying to create more farmland, trying to um, give interest-free loans to farmers and everything like that. I mean, that's one of like the most benign parts of Marxism. Do you agree? This, I—the idea of trying to make as much use of as much land as possible for farming.
1: Well, yeah, it I also mean, makes it makes sense to me from the, the standpoint of, like, the victor's dilemma. He just took over a very f- – like, these people took over a very fractured country. They're going to have to do some things to appease the other side because they definitely can't survive another civil war. So mm-hmm. I think there's probably a little bit of that filtering in there and, like, some intellectual honesty where you go, maybe these people aren't wrong about everything. Let's look at some of this and see what works or, like, let's try some of this. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's try it out.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, um, a certain level of that is present in almost, like, every form of government, like, even in, like, uh, social democracy and so forth, uh, but it's softer forms of, like, not Marxist socialism, I guess, if you even could qualify them as such. Even yeah, like I agree. I, I think it's. Did a lot of that kind of shit. It's pretty. It's pretty basic for a government that it wants to like have some sense of taking care of people. I agree.
0: I only bring it up because it's con- because of the very document itself contrasting itself. With Marxism and, and yeah. stuff like that, and it was one of the points it of the Communist also, Manifesto. The I can't I can't yes. quote exactly, but it was basically the reforming of arid of arid lands into yeah, farmland. Right. It ends up as collectivized farms in the Soviet Union. Yeah, but for them, they um, want to restore the family <laughs> farm instead. Right, and also a few other things. Actually, they want to um, give you know interest-free loans to farmers, and also mm-hmm. to, um, as they put it, um undertake re- a relentless campaign of reforestation and livestock breeding and and we shall severely right. punish those who resist it. it. It's kind of funny, the <laughs> idea. Who who would really resist the idea of um, reforestation and livestock breeding? I don't know. Fuck your forest. We want desert... F-
1: <laughs> we have people in this country yeah. that oppose that. We have a whole bunch of them. It's, um... Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. The cows are farting but, the earth to death. We, we must stop oh this. Oh, God.
0: And that's one of the arguments I have against, like, the vegans who say we need to end the farming industry and everything like that. I'm like, okay, you can stop so eating meat and everything like covers. that. However, at the same time, in this country, we have, like, hundreds of millions of cats. They are not herbivores. They're not omnivores. They specifically eat meat. So you're if you eliminate all meat production... Including fishing and everything like that, you're going to have a severe famine and mass dying off of cats. If you want your cats to live, you have to have some level of meat production still there. And if you cut out the human consumption of meat, then you're going to have a much, you know, it. The market's going to shrink, yeah. and you're going to have an incredibly hard time buying cat food for that same price. It's yeah, going to su- watch the price yeah, of cat food. exactly. So either way, if meat. you give up meat and try to, you know. Shrink the meat market. The cats are going to suffer along with it. It's not just that you don't need to eat meat. The cats do need to eat meat as well. And
1: who's, uh, who is the only thing on the earth that likes you when you become one of these people? Cats. And you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna kill off the cats. I think like is a bit of a strong word. Yeah.
0: I think
2: they tolerate them for food.
1: Mm.
0: But. If- I don't know. I'm Cats even... are more fucking fashy than these hipster douchebags. I mean, they're willing to go out and yeah, kill your prey and hunt. I doubt any of these people have killed anything they're in fucking, their life. They, they like, will eat you if you die like,
1: in your
2: house. Have you watched the light flicker from a fucking mouse's eyes as he murdered it? I don't think so, fucking soy man. <laughs> <laughs> fucking fascist shit, cat. I know, and, and I, l-
0: but... I, l- I read on like probably some cat facts thing or something a long time ago, but... When a cat brings you, like, a dead bird or something, it does it because it doesn't see you hunting and thinks you're a retarded cat. So it brings you food because right. it thinks you're retarded. I've
2: actually, <laughs> I've actually read that before, that um, dogs see us... They don't think that we're dogs. They see us as a different creature that's, like, higher than them for some reason. They have this weird, almost, worship of the human species. They were bred to. and mm-hmm. uh-huh. They were bred to feel that way about us. Yes, they were bred to feel that way about us. But cats are not really like domesticated in the same sense that dogs are. They're like more like tamed in a way. So cats don't see us as some kind of gods or masters. They see us as like big hairless really bad (laughs) cats. They just think that we're cats that are bad at being cats. In a way way their
0: relationship kind of embodies like what the anarcho capitalists one, they literally only associate with us for mutual gain, and outside of that, there's no love or unity in between us. <laughs> no, there's no actual, like, affection or whatever. I
2: mean, in, in the other direction, anyways, I don't mm-hmm.
1: know. <laughs> Sometimes, People some cats, cats I guess, some but. specific instances of cats actually do
0: care. But there are rare yeah, breeds. Mm-hmm. But and it's, not, but it's not in principle I. like the dog human relationship. It's in circumstantial.
1: Right. It, it develops over time with the dog. It's a survival mechanism. The dog understands very quickly that, oh, I need to suck up to this creature.
2: <laughs> but insofar as, um, like, I don't know, um, like farming benefits and so forth. Like, yeah, that's pretty um, actually common amongst different forms of government. But there's another interesting thing I wanted to mention on that topic, I guess, since we started talking about that, and you said it was interesting because of the uh, sort of take from basic Marxism or Aqueducts. Whatever. We need to set or, up aqueducts or, across
0: the United States, <laughs> above ground Roman aqueducts. Yeah. Yes,
2: <laughs> I agree. Absolutely. But, um it's also interesting to bring up because if you and this is a great example of this specifically, if you actually read the fascist literature, like the the um, programs and the books and so forth, where they explain their their programs and what they're doing and why they're doing it, like it really kind of seems like they actually care about taking care of people, so mm-hmm. I mean,
1: hmm, weird. <laughs> But fascism is only bad,
0: right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, they don't forget about the sixth Guerrillion. I would argue that the worst fascist country in in like um, World War Two was That's Japan. True. I mean, the, Oof, yeah, they I were mean, kind of harsh. I mean, yeah, Jap- like the Asians have a tendency to be very you know cruel to one each right. to one another, and their imperialism mm-hmm. was. Genuine imperialism. It was pretty, fascism it was in Italy had the excuse of trying to restore the glory of the Roman Empire. The fascism yeah. of Spain was to restore unity within Spain and reestablish themselves right. as a as a maritime power in I the mean, world. Honestly, but with Japanese imperialism, yeah. it is very much fuck you, other yeah, Asian yeah, people. Japan right. is best. This us. Be this us now. This us. Well, it right. was also like fuck because you, Europe. Look what Germany we can better.
2: Because Germany really gets a lot of uh, fucking bad flack that they don't deserve. Because if you think about it, like, uh, they didn't really do anything other than reassert the historical territorial claims. And other than um, annexing all of Czechoslovakia. And when they were even trying to invade Poland, if you think about it, like, Prussia has some level of uh, historical claim to most of the land of Prussia, if not, like, damn near all of it. So... The only reason they ended up conquering half of Europe is because half of Europe fucking declared war yeah. on them when they invaded. Yeah, and when Poland and, and I
0: actually talked with Isaac Cohen on the on Twitter, who's a neocon interventionist, <laughs> about about World War II and everything like that. And I said that that was that was tactics. It, when they invaded France, I brought up the specific point they didn't annex France France into the Germ German Empire. What they did is they. They installed a puppet government and puppet and they tried to easy. encourage French na- nationalism. They said, You're not Germans. You are French, therefore you need to elevate yourselves, you know, to a French nationalism level. And I brought up this point. If Britain and France they weren't enemies of Germany, if they instead have been allies, there would have been no invasion of them. There would have been nothing. It
2: wouldn't have been And
0: I even world went War. as far as to say if the Axis had won World War Two the UK would still be the UK, France would still be France and at the very most Germany would have signed a um signed some kind of treaty that set up um, maybe like german military outposts along like the english channel in key places. They wouldn't have full on like took over yeah, can Britain. Can you
2: imagine? <sighs> so here's a fucking funny ass like idea and it's <laughs> can you imagine if Germany won the second world war and they had as many global military bases as the United States has now like just in perspective right like if you think about it if Germany had fucking military bases like all over the world and like Britain France fucking America like Russia like it's insane to think about what the Allies did after the wake of the Second World War and sort of installing this—I know—they just sort of they, overarching dominant world. I know it's so stupid. Order. They say
0: Germany it's wants just, to take over, wanted to take over the world. One, they are—they already are in in the way of the EU and through economic means, they're becoming a regional <laughs> a regional hegemon. Powerful. And it's like, all right, so you're not willing to do it. Peacefully, but it, it's absolutely stupid their idea that they're trying to take over the fucking world. It's just simply not the case. America is the military out of the world, and the EU is is the economic hegemon of. I, I I'm not gonna say of the world because I would say the the three
2: definitely at least of the. Europe I would
0: say now. the four big economic hegemons If we're looking at just economic powerhouses, I would say U.S. Europe, Middle East, and China. Asia. I would say those are the big four and in and they're the closer you get to the particular areas, the more economic dominance they they hold. And Germany is of course behind that Europe European military dominance. I mean not military, economic dominance. But anyways, back to the back to the um the doctrine, I it just Really sure. There's only a few points left. the The 23rd through 25th points are all about. I I might as well just read them because they're about education and religion. I think they're I think they're pretty good for um for our modern day. Besides the third one, which is specific to um Spain in particular. It shall be. The essential mission of the state to attain by means of rigorous disciplining of education a strong, unified spirit, and to instill the souls of the future generations a sense of rejoicing and pride in the fatherland. All men shall receive... Pre-military training to prepare them for honor of being enlisted in the National Popular Army of Spain. And I'm going to go quickly over the next two points, and then we can come back to that one in particular. Cultural life shall be organized so that no talent will be underdeveloped because of insufficient economic means. All who merit it shall be assured ready access to a higher education. Bernie supporters, we're waiting for you. our movement incorporates the catholic meaning of glorious tradition and especially in spain of national reconstruction the church and the state will coordinate their respective powers so as to permit no interference or activity may impair the dignity of the state or national integrity and the final point it's just um basically saying we want all these things to come about it's the method of procedure will be direct, bold, and combative. Life signifies the art and science of warfare and must be lived with a spirit that is purified by service and sacrifice. Now back on to the twenty third point. I think that school reform is a it's it's a very, very, very crucial thing. That's one of the things I will we can agree with Democrats, but the way we want to change it is completely different. Now I think that for The primary school systems of K through 12, we need to abolish like the standardized um, bullshit Common Core. Getting rid of that is a good thing, but even the system we have now is terrible. So the uh, the idea of K through 12 for me, I think the the basic premise would be during kindergarten through maybe third grade, building this idea of Cooperation of um, of what it means to be an American, what it means to help your fe- fellow people, and all these things. Then, from third grade to like to like like six or maybe ninth grade, have this idea of becoming, you know. A self-actualized person, becoming you know, this is what it means to be an individual within our nation. These are the duties you have to uphold. These are how... And one of the things that I think many people can agree with is creating a... creating kind of a how-to-live-life class. I mean, so many yeah, times please. in how to human well not even how to human just basically how to even be a part of this system so many people in our modern day they don't know how to file taxes they don't know how to read laws they don't oh, right. know That's how right. to cong- they don't know how to, con- they know how to they yeah know. they don't know how to contact their congressman they don't know where you go to you know file such and such thing basically that point is talking about i mean that that point in education is all about how you can be a successful person in the system we have, how you can make the most out of everything, how you can develop yourself most as a person. After that, from 9th to 12th, can be kind of the beginning of, you know, vocational support and specific vocation, not just general, like, oh, you learn... Just general mathematics course and everything like that. Yes, we all need to learn general mathematics and everything like that. That's one of the few things of standardized education that can be kept around. General mathematics, general um, earth science and physics and things like that. And history. Basically, you know, the common core STEM classes. But, But when I'm talking about vocational jobs, I'm talking about actually dividing yourself and preparing do you want to go into law do you want to go into metalworking do you want to do you want to um become a entrepreneur starting to separate out these people into the various kind of um vocations and giving them real skills that they can apply directly as they get out of high school now now in the university or higher completely different form of of education that I think... Not everyone needs to go to university. I mean, if you just want to get a vocational job and you serve your voc by, you know, creating, you know, metal metal, um, products and things like that, you just need to graduate through high school and you'll have all the skills necessary, you know, to be a good, helpful citizen engaging in civic life, you know, making and improving your craft. But for the university and higher, of course, law students and things will go there, but I... Want to restore the um, the Greek and Roman academy method? I lo- I la- love the traditional the, the traditional structure of this is the master and any any. In back in the day, anyone who wanted to they could come and listen and the people who thrived there were the people who could give feedback and actually talk and actually produce a a discourse that both the master and the student learn something but the student often learns more than it. That it's almost like an open apprenticeship that whatever the master is doing or teaching about the people there, they contribute to the bettering of that specific traits such as if if the example was history like this stu- like the teacher can be lecturing and talking about you know the the traditions and tales and heritages of of the past and everything like that and the student can bring up a valid point about um about a historical you know event happening not happening looking at it in this different way and the and the teacher validates that by giving legitimacy or a genuine criticism. And both the student and the teacher improve from such a discourse. Now, what do you think of this general breakdown?
1: Um, actually, um, yeah. I'll ahead, jump in. Tommy, no. I, I totally agree with you both. Yes, we need to be realistic there are European countries like Germany and Switzerland that already do this and we did take their original education model if anyone is aware of that it is the Prussian educational model that we continue to destroy the to this day kindergarten um, sh- isn't German <laughs> yeah I know seriously <laughs> I've had to argue that with people who are like no it's not from Prussia like okay I'm not gonna yeah, argue it's with fucking you German the Germans
2: invented the welfare state yeah. like a <laughs> hundred years before yeah. we did Thanks, Pismar. and it was way better
1: yeah yeah well Well, yeah but and so yes we need to be with especially with primary education we need to be like making kids think about what is it that you actually want to do what are you good at having that institutional support that pushes them towards their goal even when they drag their feet because they're children and that's what children do instead of having parents to just go okay fuck it download snapchat and be a whore that's fine i don't care also when it comes to college yes To suggest that we need to tell our children for their entire life that they need to go get this piece of paper and go into, in a lot of cases, crippling debt to get this piece of paper that doesn't necessarily really improve their lives, especially with the state that these institutions are in today, unless they are actively working to improve their lives outside of it, they really don't grow from this experience. And if anything, they just get more and more indoctrinated into some very bizarre and toxic worldviews that we're seeing come to fruition now. So I totally agree with you. I actually really do like the ancient Greek method. Good luck finding people that'll do it for free. Maybe that would change the demographic significantly of college professors. Just saying. But I, that I probably, don't think, I don't a think good it order. has to be
0: for free. I think it can be people men of renown will make themselves known within any within any system and thus such people the in the universities could attract them by you know financial means of giving lectures of working in their laboratories etc and in order to bolster that particular funding people naturally want to you know make connections and also learn from them and you know say become an assistant in that laboratory to that particular well-renowned scientist and things like that
1: you just validated some old dude at a community college hardcore dude good job (laughs) but no seriously (laughs) if you want it go get it that's and that sounds like a very american way to put it but that kind of is how it is if you want to be educated no one can shove it down your throat you have to actively engage in it Mm -hmm. i don't know i was one of those assholes that never shut up in class Mm -hmm. so (laughs) maybe that's just my own personal bias but
2: but I'm definitely on board with this idea. And like uh, like Tommy brought up, there are many European countries who also already have a model very similar to what you're describing. They have vocational jobs,
0: but I don't think in university they have this, um, you know, Gre- um, Greco-Roman they, academy. No, they don't have like a...
2: No, they have no, the Hebrew model. they don't model. have like a Socratic... Uh,
0: University they have very knowledge. much lecture, learn, it, and regurgitate. And at the very, very minimum, they have some applied stuff like, okay, here's a problem that you need to apply all the principle views learned. That's a step above, but it's not totally up, up on the point of discourse. And I think what could definitely help in removing the indoctrination part of universities is this idea of discourse. That's not so much that the university lecturer, the master, is speaking down to... The student that he needs to accept everything he he hears and he needs to you know just regurgitate it back on a test it's this idea that the master provides the general outline of you know this particular mastery or specialization but the discourse between him and the students actually is what provides the real true amount of learning because the master learns a criticism, whether legitimate or not legitimate, of a particular point or aspect, and the student learns why that particular criticism is wrong or right. If he's wrong, he can learn why he's wrong. If he's right, he actually shows potential for improving that particular craft.
1: How incredible how far education is strayed away from that model, considering that it's one of its foundational pillars. Mm -hmm. Very perplexing to think about. (laughs) But yeah, absolutely true. The the Socratic method, not the way that law schools use it, but the way that it should actually be applied. If you ever read like any of Plato's works where he's talking about Socrates just kind of dancing people, it mm-hmm. seems to be a very effective way to get to people and something that's enjoyable. Socrates is the original I I tried right. to yeah. get
0: I tried to get my mom to read um, you know, Lyceum and The Republic and everything like that and she and she just she didn't want to finish it because she just said Socrates was a jerk and didn't make sense. <laughs>
1: It's not an argument. <laughs> he was doing that on purpose. That was how he got people's attention. I know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know. It's one of those things. You're like, okay, mom. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Wink, wink. Ah, family. Yeah, I gave up years ago trying to even tell them what I'm thinking about. Fucking I'm like, boomers, what man. What are you talking about? I
0: gave my father a book on all the all the wrongdoings the Clintons did while in office, and and the next day he just gave it back to me, and he said, "Yeah, I know about all this stuff." <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's crazy it's like well then fucking do something about it nigga. <laughs> though I have known some boomers to start waking up right about now which is interesting seeing that shift in them I'm like whoa late is the hour in which the Saxon began to <laughs> no hate no kidding 50 years late
0: boomer nationalism
2: <laughs> oh I fucking love that twitter they're amazing Oh, man. fucking yeah, bill mitchell satisfying. whenever i
0: see his name i think i think machiavelli uh, but he's not like machiavelli, machiavelli in any way oh he's not <laughs> machiavelli <is fucking laughs> so.
1: what always blows <laughs> me away about the boomer generation's particular criticism of ours though is they always criticize us for the way we were raised and how that shaped us into human beings <laughs> like who are the people raising us uh, hmm let's think about this one i mean uh oh it was you that's right so you were the one who argued for the participation trophy and now you're the one complaining about it mm-hmm. hmm i wonder why our country's so hmm. destroyed now thanks Hmm. it does make
2: one wonder another salient
1: feature <laughs> i've noticed when i communicate with leftists is they feel very similar about boomers as we do
2: Yeah, actually, I think boomers are probably the uh, most universally hated group because they're hated by both leftists and, uh, like, the dissident right for oddly opposite reasons. Like, the leftists are like, God, I can't wait for all these old people who are way too racist to die. And we're like, God, I can't wait for all these old people who aren't racist (laughs) enough to die. (laughs) Like, it's the same thing, just... Fucking opposite.
0: Black people smell terrible, but they should have all the same rights as us, and you shouldn't criticize them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not really a fan of illegal Mexican people, but you know, if they got their papers. It's fine. It's like, well, then, fucking, why don't yeah, you just? just stop giving a shit like yeah that job that you want to pay for college racism.
1: with working part time um hmm who works in those jobs now oh yeah they
2: yeah, do or that job doesn't fucking exist huh, anymore.
1: That too
0: this is kind of related but i i really don't like the idea of pensions and fucking insurance now, no f- just
2: in general or like no
0: in state? in principle i i guess these are kind of separate things but they're They're related for the same point of of boomers and retiring. But I'll go into, I fucking hate insurance. It's the biggest fucking scam to me. I I got a minor in economics. I know all the economics behind it. I know all about the utility curves and the idea of people in general will be more happy with the safety net and everything like that. But, But no, I put it down to this in principle. The insurance companies are there to make money. They're there doing something with a particular profit. All the money going into them, they want that money to be greater than what they're giving out. And that goes for... That goes for, you know, everyone in principle. The general idea is when some people suffer, all the others pay into pay into it, and, you know, they get their benefits. And But at the same fucking time, I look at this and I'm like, okay, if... I am the only one who exists, and the insurance company is, you know, the only insurance company. If I am paying money into it, I am never going to get the same amount of money I put in that I get out. It it, it it seems like all the money that's put in, it would be better put into, like, an investment. That would be the optimal thing, or at least a savings. Hell, even if you spent that extra money that you would spend on insurance money, just like investing in things like maintenance in, in 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 instead of paying monthly insurance take that take that monthly insurance and go Go hire your mechanic friend to just take a look over for your car. See if he sees any problems developing. See if you can fix any kind of cracks or leaks or anything like that. Have a contractor come look at your plumbing. It seems like you could do so much more with the money that you're putting into insurance that would actually help both yourself and the economy at large than the insurance themselves. And that's just super, um... Super, um super manifest in in the social security policy where this idea that the next generation will put in more money than you to pay you off, it's like no, that you shouldn't rely on the next generation to pay for yourself pay for your own thing, put it in a fucking retirement investment account or something, put it into a kind of business that'll last and keep giving you money into your retirement, and this goes for pensions too, I don't like this idea of you retire, and you you stop working. That's the time when you relax until you die. <laughs> no, you don't have to do a vigorous job. As you get older, that's kind of the time where you grow out of these labor-intensive jobs. I mean, when you're old, you can still do very many things. It's <laughs> There are probably some be- very many ad campaigns where we can still help, too, and things like that, but you're old you can write books you can contribute to arts you can become teachers you can do all these other
2: yeah that's what i was gonna say is like why don't we have the older generation like teaching and training and passing their wisdom on down to the to the youngest
0: generation? yeah and that's very much true and it's and I... people can come up with the criticism that when you're older you get dementia and all-timers and everything's like that i'm that's a minority in in old people the vast majority of old people they are they are completely competent for their you know for their general eight um general um demographic i guess is the right word for their general demographic they can they can still produce they can still just because they aren't as you know um like sharp in their physical you know dexterity and they can't be as physically you know physically Um, fit as they were in their youth, they still have a lot they could contribute to both the society, and not even in an economic way, in a very, you know, fulfillment of duty kind of way, with teaching the next generation, with with, them working at like a, um, at a, um... What's the public version of the YMCA? YMCA is a public company. What's like a community center? Is that the right word? Like a community center? Like, you know, like organizing sports and everything like that they can still contribute so much yet they throw all their money into insurance into social security into all these things of hoping that someone else will pay off their bills that's why i just hate insurance as as a concept
1: right it's a historical aberration and a market inefficiency that found a niche for itself by creating a set of lobbyists that's very good at walling them off from the effects of normal economic process in my humble opinion mm-hmm. but with <laughs> the, it's also really interesting to me about people when they're close to death suddenly they have this urge to spend literally every dime they can get their hands on to live those few extra days I've never quite understood this like I've seen people who have like basically bankrupted their kids inheritance so that they can live a couple extra months it's always perplexed me what motivates people to do that other than like that primal terror of death their hedonists who
2: fear the reaper that's the best explanation I think is that people just... It's like that futile human search for immortality, But if basically.
1: we had the, a similar... Just a similar approach to our family that we did not even 100 years ago, th- these issues wouldn't be so, you know, relevant. Your, your parents wouldn't move to Florida the minute they retired, never to be seen or heard from again while they're sitting on a beach all day getting various forms of diseases that they have to go to the doctor and blow all kinds of money on. And then the way that system set up is just, oof, oh, that's an abomination. Of both the interactions of the law and corporations that have become very very powerful in manipulating the law, and lawyers who really like making money and will manipulate the law without really any honor, despite what the you know the bar makes you think they do.
0: Mm-hmm. And I I I I yeah. understand I understand the legal system, but I don't like the the principle that they've set up where previous court rulings hold more weight than the law. The when lawyer in you know lawyer Ugh, lawyer yes. school law school the precedent yeah.
2: system the British legal system. Right. Is when, garbage, what you learn is the in the
0: system. you know law school, it's learning about all these previous mandates and all these previous. Um, not so much laws yeah one judge
2: yeah. makes a ruling once and so it has to rule over the fates
0: of millions yeah it's of m- so much time that time. they don't want to overturn and question their own kind of you know dogmatic narrative that they push that the courts are justice therefore we don't want to contradict ourselves it's so much that no if you made a mistake the law should supersede it but they they prefer their own personal rulings within the court system over the actual law itself like that right. recent thing saying that the Muslim ban was unconstitutional, it just, it's like, <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> Despite the fact that precedent actually, it clearly There's, says that's yeah, not precedent Yeah, precedent actually
2: clearly shows that that's not Yeah, I know. The fact
1: that even the country from which we base most of this off of, the earliest court cases that law students read coming out of England from the 1200s, for whatever reason, we still pay attention to that, but nothing else about history. Interesting. <laughs> but why are we s- – they're not even sourcing this material anymore. They've even moved beyond it.
2: Right. They don't give a fuck Their about it. Their common law they're is much weaker on. than ours.
1: Every other common law country, is, it's very different than the way we particularly enforce the tyranny of j- dead judges. Mm-hmm. You never know, everyone talks about dead white men. Well, there's some dead white men that actually do still have an effect. Judges, sure wasn't any white. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah starting right, with Cardoza, yeah. not so white anymore.
0: Ginsburg is the Only whitest real. Only
1: dorks will get that.
2: <laughs> Jesus Christ. <sighs> but yeah, it's just, it's all fucked. But yeah, what you're describing, like this idea of like, yeah, hey, everybody can just, they'll maintain their cars properly and, you know, save up for their retirements. Like, that would require people to have
0: first... <laughs> exactly. And that's really. where.
2: That would, that's where that, that previous school, school
0: model of what I said, ability. that's why the largest range of education, I think I said um, I think, what did I say 6 through through 12, I think I said 6 through 12 is all about, you know, becoming that, that self-actualized person about figuring out how you can achieve in this system, how you can get the things you want, how you can you know yes, yeah, self-defense is part of that and there would be gun clubs and things like that, but but assert yourself in a way that a businessman asserts himself, the way that he pushes himself into a market that if he wants something done, he doesn't wait for it to come to him, he doesn't expect others to do it. He goes and he makes it happen. He goes through the proper channels that, that you know, initiates that particular change of betterment for himself. And he humbly deals with
1: constant failure. Yeah. which is another salient aspect of human existence that uh, we've totally tried to purge with some very unusual effects.
0: I know and they and the fucking liberals yeah, always criticize Trump for, you know, going bankrupt and everything like that. It's like he's had like 200 successful businesses and four bankruptcies. It's like that's that's a great track record. Most most business owners are like the reverse. <laughs> and you, and they always seem to forget about their hatred of that particular
1: legal fiction right then. They always seem to just go, oh, you were the one who was bankrupt, therefore you equal bad. Mm -hmm. Okay, weren't you just complaining about how corporations are called humans in the law and that legal fiction that exists to protect the business owners? Hmm. Hmm.
0: I know Mm -hmm. ideological consistency is (laughs) hard. Mm-hmm. So many damn reforms we need to make. Um... I think that's almost everything. Yeah. However, <laughs> I th- if you I want, think it's- there's one or two more topics I think that we could cover.
1: Yeah, we definitely could. We, all right, we'll move into the second half then. We'll see you guys in just a minute if you're listening to This at the Gym.